Well, 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 happy Mother's Day to all of you today. And welcome to Vertical Life Church. For those of you that are new, I see some new faces today. I'm Pastor Joey, and I do want to just say welcome to you today. Today is the day we set aside to recognize moms of all walks of life, denominations, shapes, and sizes. And really, today is just about celebrating motherhood. Uh, One day at church, there was a little boy, and he was in his Sunday school class. And his Sunday school teacher asks him a question. and And she says, tell me, Johnny, do you pray before you eat? Do you say your prayers before eating? And Johnny looked at her kind of puzzled, and he said, no, ma'am, I don't have to. My mom's a really good cook. And so, you know, we just thank you, moms, for all that you do. Moms do more than just cook, and we're thankful for everything you do. So happy Mother's Day to you all. Uh, but in our culture, uh, we have some confusion. Uh, there's a lot of, if you look at the news, just look at uh, walking down the street and see the day today. There's some confusion uh, with our genders, with different social roles and responsibilities, things that maybe we thought we understood before. And uh, there's some confusion on how the two genders, male and female, play for the success of community as a whole. And, and today, we want to focus specifically on motherhood. And uh, one of the things we're launching now with Vertical Life Church, if you have a smartphone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, uh, you can actually open that app and click on live events, and you'll find Vertical Life Church there. And you'll have message notes and other uh, bits of information that can help you follow along and then take this discussion with you throughout the week. So I want to encourage you to maybe check that out. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then don't worry. Uh, but if you have a smartphone uh, and you have the ability to have apps, I encourage you to do that. But as we look at motherhood, I want to really focus on three things as it pertains to really women in general. Uh, The first thing I want to discuss, number one, is the woman's definition. This is the defining characteristic of women. And where do we find this definition or this characteristic? We find it in the source of truth, which is the Word of God, the Bible. God is the creator of heaven and earth, and he has communicated his truth to us in the scriptures. And so we're going to look in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, and begin to pull out really this defining characteristic or definition for women. Uh, God had created all that there is to create. He created man. And uh, if you know the, the story of the six days of creation, at the end of every day of creation, God said one very specific thing. He looked at all he had made and he said, it was good. It is very good. And that wasn't just, man, I'm pretty proud of myself. No, it was, this is awesome what I made. This is an amazing thing. But in verse 18, we look at on day six, God creates something, but he has a kind of a different response. In the beginning of verse 18, in Genesis chapter 2, it says this. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. 
At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So God creates, day six, he creates Adam. He creates the first man. He also creates all the animals of the animal kingdom. And he brings each animal to Adam and asks Adam, give him a name. Name him. And so you got to picture this. And you think about the animal kingdom today. We are still discovering animals and insects and creatures. And and all of recorded history, thousands of years, we're still trying to come up with names for everything we discover. So you can imagine how long Adam is in the garden just trying to come up with names for everything God has made. This was a very long time. And so he has Adam name all these animals. And Adam, as he's looking at each animal, he's saying, okay, there's, I'm going to call this a cow. And I see there, there's a boy cow and th- there's a girl cow. And then now we have a dog. And, uh, there's a boy dog and then there's a girl dog. And he does this process all the way through the entire creation, everything God had made, but yet there was no helper for him. There was no second half. The man was alone. All the animals could flourish. All the animals could reproduce. But yet, the man was alone. And out of everything God had made, God made a lonely man. And that was not good. A man who was alone. And I can think just in practical times in our day today, if the home, our homes, if the home under most men's supervision is a reflection of our species, I can only imagine what the world would look like if women had never arrived on the scene. And can I get an amen, ladies? If you think about, you know, what your house would look like if only the man was living in the home, chances are it would not look quite like what it does with the woman present in the home. Wars are not started by women. They're maybe fought over women, but they're not started by women. Children don't wear color-coordinated outfits usually because of the men. God makes women because a man alone is not necessarily a really good thing. So he makes a woman, and in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God calls woman something very specific. He calls her, and look at verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, what's that word? helper, a helper who is just right for him. And in the English language, it's hard to really fully understand kind of what God means to some respects because our English language doesn't fully or adequately uh, describe what these words mean. But the word helper in the Hebrew is the word azer, and it's also found in Psalms chapter 33, verse 20. And this, this word is really only used in reference to God everywhere else that it's used. But we can get a better understanding of what helper means in this verse here in Psalm 33, 20. Here's what God communicates to us in the Psalms. He says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So this word helper in Genesis 2.18 is the very same word used for God as our help and our shield in Psalm chapter 33. God is our 
rescuer. God is our protector. God is our salvation, our savior. You see, when woman was created, she was not meant to be man's secretary. She was not meant to be man's tag-along. She was not meant to be man's slave or servant or shut up, woman, just do what I tell you to do. She was meant to be man's rescuer. That's powerful. That is huge. How many times has my wife foreseen and understood things way before I ever saw them or understood them? I cannot count. See, God did not give me a wife to argue with or boss around. He gave me a wife to counsel me and guide me as I follow his plan for my life. My wife is my rescuer. And not only is she the rescuer of the husband, but she is also the rescuer of the entire human species. You see, without woman, humanity could not flourish or reproduce. It'd be impossible. Without women, we could not have children. Intrinsic in every woman is the purpose that God intended, is the very defining characteristic of her existence, and that is of motherhood. It's of motherhood. God commanded the man and the woman to come together to be one flesh, to bear children, to be fruitful and multiply. And as a mother, she herself rescues humanity. Man cannot do it alone. And though the purpose of every woman is to be a mother, is to step in or press into motherhood, the second uh, point we want to look at today is not just the woman's definition, but also the woman's dilemma. You see, every woman is purposed for motherhood, but that road is not the same for every woman. Since sin has entered into the world, that, that first sin that's been wreaking havoc over our entire world since the beginning of time, since sin has entered into the world, it's created a broken world, and often our experience in this life is tainted by brokenness. Some women have natural children. Some have children through the assistance of science. Some marry into families that already have children in existence because of divorce or other issues. Some women adopt. But then there are those whose story is a little different. There are some women who reject their identity that God made in their creation and what he intended for them to live out. Or because of selfishness, they choose to be childless because they want to really, in essence, live for themselves. But others, the story is a bit more painful. Because even though some women really want to be mothers, they're unable to have children by force due to some avoidable physical complication. And there's a woman in the Bible who, who is going through this experience. Her name is Hannah. Hannah was such a woman. And her story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And what we need to understand in biblical times is that being bountiful with children was synonymous with blessing. Matter of fact, Psalm 127, verse 3, the scripture says children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children are a gift. They're a blessing. And in Psalm 127, verse 5, it says, how joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Talking about children. How blessed are you when you have many, many children. And in this day and age, to have many children was considered to be blessed. To be bountiful is to be blessed. But likewise, to be barren is to be cursed. It is to be cursed. And along with this curse in this culture would be a heavy weight of public shame. 
Women would be ridiculed. They would be shunned and shamed. Social disgrace just because a woman could not get pregnant. And Hannah was a woman who lived in disgrace. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuph in the hill country of Ephraim. And he was the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph in Ephraim. And Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. And each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. In the days of Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would only give her one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Hannah was not only disheartened because of her barrenness, but she was also continuously ridiculed for a situation that was out of her control. And many women today with fertility issues, even though we live in a different culture where we're not casting public shame on people who can't get pregnant, we don't publicly throw women under the bus who can't get pregnant, women today, even still today, take upon themselves guilt and shame especially during holidays like today and where we're celebrating motherhood, those that have been without children and even attending family functions or parent-kid functions, it can be a painful reminder of the blessings that appear to will never come. And this reality is painful because women who cannot give birth, who are unable to fulfill their intrinsic purpose for motherhood, that is a huge blow to the soul. And many tears have been shed from the eyes of the barren, especially those who continue to get pregnant and then miscarry. My wife and I know the pain of, of a miscarriage. We miscarried before we gave birth to Asher. And I thank God for our four healthy kids, but I cannot imagine the feeling of that excitement only to have it taken from you again and again and again. It's crushing to the spirit. And this was Hannah's world. She was caught in a dilemma, a never-ending cycle of emotional pain. But her husband, in dude-like fashion, anytime there's an issue in the home, sometimes it's a natural thing for us guys to try to swoop in and try to fix the problem and to say the only insensitive thing or do something the most insensitive way men know how to do. It's you know, kind of humorous. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8, he's sitting and looking at his wife sobbing and crying, and Elkanah says, why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Be, why, why be so downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Amen. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Isn't like that totally like a guy? Like what we do when we're looking at the problem, we're like, suck it up, buttercup. You, well, you got me. That's all you need, right? I could just see that. In other words, what's the big deal? Quit your crying. I could, it just, it's perfect. I mean, this, I mean, God's word is amazing. But right here, as I was meditating on this passage, the, the Lord just brought something to my mind. Uh, thinking about the animal kingdom and all the things God had made, a horse is a very powerful animal. God designed the horse for strength and for speed. 
But have you ever wondered why whenever a horse breaks its leg, they usually just put it down? I mean, when we break a leg, we don't get shot in the head, right? We get a cast, we spend time on you know, crutches, and, and we're healed back to health. But when a horse breaks its leg, it's usually put down without even a thought. And so I had to ask the question, why, why is that? You see, that though the legs of a horse are incredibly powerful, the size of the animal makes the legs actually a little bit small for its body. The legs of the horse are really too small for its body. And what happens is, is then the force of the body places the maximum pressure threshold on the legs at all times. The horse stays standing continuously. The horse runs and jumps. At all times, the maximum threshold of pressure is placed on the legs of the animal. And so uh, the sheer strength of the muscles when the leg breaks with the tendons and, and everything, when it breaks its leg, the amount of force on the bone causes the bone to shatter, and it does it with such force that the fragments of the bone generally uh, pierce the skin, shred the muscle, and make it near impossible to repair. And even if the leg could be repaired, the nature of the animal's activity standing up would prevent it from healing well or really at all. And a horse cannot, it is too heavy, too big to support itself on three legs. So it would have to be lame. It would have to lay down. And an animal that size laying down uh, not too long would begin to have its lungs fill up with fluid, and it would end up slowly asphyxiating itself on its own fluid. It can't survive laying down. So that's why it's far more humane to put a horse down with a broken leg in many respects than allow it to try to uh, repair itself through a slow and agonizing process and even allow it to come to its own end through a slow and agonizing death. A horse was created to stand and to run, and without its legs, it really means certain death in many respects. And Hannah's husband, as I'm thinking about this, I'm looking at Hannah's husband's response. Like many of us men, we don't really understand or comprehend truly the emotional toll that our wives are enduring in different circumstances. We just don't get it. We don't understand. And here, telling her this statement, so what? You can't have kids. So what? What's the big deal? It's a blow to her spirit in the same fashion as telling a horse, so what? What's the big deal? You don't have all your legs. You see, just as a horse by nature of its legs was created to run, to stand, to be free, so by nature of the womb, women were created to be a mother. This is no trivial matter. No matter how awesome Elkanah was, he could have been the best husband. He could have won all the husband awards and, and had all that stuff, but yet he cannot fulfill the void that is in a woman's life who cannot bear children. And if he had said that today, I can only imagine at the speed at which the back of her hand would have graced his cheek. Whap! This is a big deal. To tell a woman you cannot bear children is essentially to tell her the same thing about a horse with no legs. But Hannah's story doesn't end in sorrow. And uh, beginning in verse 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says, Once after the sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place at the entrance of the tabernacle. 
Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow, answer my prayer, and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she'd been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded? Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. She went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The promise of a child stole away her sadness because she was now able to look forward to fulfilling her destiny, her definition as a mother. And Hannah does give birth to a son. She names him Samuel, who grows up to be one of the greatest prophets of Israel, the very prophet who anointed King David to be the king of Israel. And I believe God answered Hannah's request, not only because of her faith, but because her request was in line with God's word. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, the prophet Malachi writes this. He says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want from you? What's that say? Godly offspring. He wants godly children. God brings a man and a woman together, not just to produce, but to produce godly offspring. God's will is not that every woman would simply have children, but that they would grow up to serve the Lord. Hannah didn't just want to be selfish with her request so she can get people off her back or so that she can look and look down on others who were in the same circumstance. No, she wanted to give God the very thing he wanted, and that was a godly child who would grow up and serve him. And I believe that's why God answered the prayer. See, every woman has a purpose, and every woman one day will reach a dilemma. Either you won't be able to have children or one day you will have children and they will grow up only to move out of the home. And to some degree, studies show that the same sorrow a barren woman feels is the very same sorrow a mother feels when the child leaves the home. There's a grieving process that occurs. It's called the empty nest syndrome. And part of this emptiness syndrome are feelings that accompany uh, are depression, sadness, grief, and even loss. So the barren mother mourns the child before the birth, but the bountiful mother will mourn their child after the birth. This dilemma affects every mother. And even affects fathers. Like just the other day, my, jo- my daughter Jocelyn just turned 12, and she's continuously talking about when she gets to leave the house and do whatever she wants. She doesn't have to live under the rules and all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, just kill me now. Stab me in the chest. I get so emotional just thinking about uh, her leaving. She's 12 going on 20. Uh, and the other day, my wife and I were talking about our youngest son, Asher, who just entered kindergarten. He, you know, my youngest son is, is five, and now my wife no longer, who, who has stayed home with all of our kids, she no longer has to tend to a child all day. And there was kind of a grieving process that happened because she began to question, what's, what's my purpose now? It's been 11 years of diapers and wipes and meals and naps, and it's been all this time, but now what do I do now? And there's kind of a grieving process that took place. Why does this happen? It's because each little transition, this dilemma shows up. 
And I think it shows up because deep down for every mom, there's a sense of loss, but even deeper, there's a sense of loss of purpose. But the truth is that for every woman, especially those who are believers in Jesus Christ, you know the Lord is your personal Savior. You're a part of his church as God has intended motherhood to never end. Now, this doesn't mean that you move in with your kids when they're adults and you hover over them like helicopters like some of you might you know, be totally okay with. But uh, there's something deeper here. God never intends for motherhood to end. The number of the place settings at your table do not determine your purpose. The one who created you determines your purpose. And just like Hannah released her grief at the promise of a child, God in his word has given the opportunity to every woman, young and old, bountiful or barren, that if she would open her eyes and see the bigger picture, she would see a quiver of children in need of her care. Every woman has purpose, a definition. Every woman one day will enter into a dilemma. And finally, number three, every woman has a destiny. Every woman has a destiny. They say women make the world turn. And if so, the way they rescue the world is by stepping into their destiny. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul the Apostle kind of is speaking to a pastor that he's trained up in the ministry, and he's instructing this pastor on how to lead his church, and more importantly, how to give direction to the women under his care. And here's what Paul tells young Titus. He says, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Paul is instructing this pastor to teach these older women first and foremost to live in a way that honors God with their life. To live in such a way that brings God glory, not to slander, not to be full of gossip, not to be a busybody getting into everybody's business, but he says, bring God glory. Don't be drunk. Don't be caught up in wild parties trying to live an immature lifestyle and letting immaturity guide your life. Don't live to honor God because you have a great calling. You have a great purpose. God has a defining characteristic he wants you to step into. The older must train the younger in the church. This is an invitation from God to every woman to mother, into motherhood, to fulfill your purpose, to step into your destiny. You might not have kids at home, but if you'd open your eyes, you would see that God has given you a whole bunch of kids to mother in the church. Teach them, Paul says, to love their husbands, Why? Because marriage is hard. This is one of the reasons why we're bringing the XO Marriage Conference and partnering with Community Church of God. If you don't have your tickets, definitely get your tickets. It's well worth it. It's inspiring, and it's an amazing time to work on your marriage because marriage is hard. And we're in need of some godly women to come alongside the younger women to teach them how to love their husbands. And this doesn't just mean to, to uh, feel you know, feelings or, or intimacy. This word for love literally means to be affectionate towards, not cold. To be affectionate towards, not cold. You see, resentment and bitterness, that's easy. What's more difficult is to be affectionate or to, to gush towards your spouse, especially when... They're not 
worth it or living in a way that makes you feel like it's worth it. Teach them to love their husbands. Teach them to love their children. Not to be neglectful. Not to be cold towards their kids, but to gush towards, to, to be affectionate towards their kids. Teach them to live wisely, to not be impulsive or, or unrestrained or blow their finances or, or, or not live in such a way that would um, keep a protection or a provision around their home. He tells them work hard, teach them to work hard in their homes. There are some lost skills on today's generation that we need the mothers uh, of our older generation to teach. Some of it might be cooking, sewing, uh, keeping a house clean and organized, prioritizing. There are many things that have gone lost on this younger generation. He says teach them to be good, to be really to be pleasant to be around. Teach them to have good manners, how to act, how to be tactful, how to be joyful and honorable in their speech and in their behavior. Our culture today has lost this understanding of having manners or how to be respectful in a public setting, how to draw people to themselves with their, with their lifestyle, with their attitude, and with their presentation of themselves. We need the mothers of yesterday to mother the generation of today. He says, teach them to be submissive to their husbands, not to be contentious or quarrelsome, but how to show honor to your spouse. And Paul tells, he's giving this instruction to the women, to the older women. He's saying, we need you to mother these younger women. We need you to mother them. See, when mothers move from their home and into the house of God and continue to pour into the next generation, Paul tells us in Titus chapter 2, verse 5, he says, then they will not bring shame on the word of God. When the older mother the younger, when they teach them to live wisely, to live honorable, to be uh, well in their homes, they will not bring shame on the word of God. And I think if we were to look at the culture around us, look at the state of many homes in our cities, in our churches, people in our own family, could we say we're honoring the word of God or are we bringing shame on the word of God by how we're living? through the choices we're making. Look at the state of our homes. Are we bringing God honor? What do you see? I see a desperate need for godly women to mother the younger. To God, for godly women to mother the younger generation. To mother them into godly women who can then mother others into a godly generation. Our young girls need your guidance. Our young girls need your experience. Our young girls need your example. And this is how the barren can be bountiful and the bountiful can be bountiful again. For God has given every woman children to watch over in their care. And by moms adopting their younger sisters in Christ to teach them how to honor God with their lives, to honor God in their marriages and in their families, as they grow up into motherhood themselves, they will then leave a lasting legacy of godly offspring that can rise up and change our world. We have a woman's definition, a woman's dilemma, and a woman's destiny. And it can all be summed up in one word, and that is motherhood. So to every woman here today, I present this challenge. Don't stop at your dilemma, but fulfill your purpose by pursuing your destiny. 
Don't stop at the dilemma, but fulfill your purpose by pursuing your destiny. Become spiritual mothers raising godly spiritual children. And when you do, we will praise God for the spiritual fruit produced both in our physical and our spiritual families because your faith and by your faith and godly example, we will see the world change. And when we do, we will acknowledge your efforts. We will acknowledge your sacrifice like we do every day, like today, by simply saying, Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we just recognize you in this place. And Lord, we thank you for every mother. God, this is a broken world, and, and we walk through this brokenness the best way we know how. But God, I just pray that even beginning today, Mother's Day 2018, God, hope would rise and faith would rise that, that the younger women would look to the older for mentorship, that the older would look to the younger to, to impart wisdom and guidance, God, and that we would begin cultivating lives that honor you. Our children need godly examples. Our children need godly influences. And many times there's a disconnect between the older generations and the younger generations. God, but you have purposed, you have designed, you have instituted a plan that we continue motherhood all the way through to the day we see you face to face. And God, let those that maybe are hitting the dilemma right now, maybe they can't have children or, or maybe their children have left the home and they keep looking back on the days where they had a house full of souls. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would put that burden on their heart, that their eyes would open and they'd begin to pursue people they can pour their hearts into, that they can pour their lives into, that they can come alongside and say, hey, marriage is difficult, but you can make it. You can be successful. Yours can survive. Look what I've been through. Look what we've done. Look what God's done in me. And just be that source of encouragement. Those who are having difficulties raising their kids, the older generation can come alongside and say, I've been through that. I know where you're at. Let me encourage you. Let me help give you guidance. Let me step through this process with you. And by having the older continue to mother the younger, God, everyone can fulfill their purpose. Everyone can fulfill their design through what you have instituted even at the very beginning of time. That the moms would rescue the world through motherhood. And God, as we look at the gift of moms, we can't lose sight of the fact that there was an even greater gift, and that was the day you sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. The very first sin affected the entire world. But even in that moment, you spoke to the very first mom, Eve, and you said, one day, there will be a child that is born that will make all things new, that will make everything right, that through faith and trust in his sacrifice, all sin can be forgiven, all brokenness can be restored, miracles can happen, healing can happen, hope and faith can rise again, financial ruin can become financial blessing, health can become healing. And there's so many things that are available to us in Christ because of your goodness and your grace that you have come to give us life and life more abundantly. And so, God, as we close this service and we invite the church to come down to the Lord's table, God, I pray that we would give thanks 
for that sacrifice. The sacrifice that makes true life, true hope, true peace, and true faith possible. God, bless us now in the name of Jesus. And bless these elements in the name of Jesus as we worship you at the table of the Lord. In Jesus' name.